I'm Renaud Broussard. And I'm Aaron Woodrick. And this is a Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. On today's show, we're going to talk about a federal proposal to take some of the sting out of the federal carbon tax. We're also going to discuss a bureaucrat who managed to rack up about half a million dollars in dubious expenses. But first, we delivered some feed to the Prime Minister's office last week, and we think it'll be of interest to you. Aaron, you were there for it, so maybe tell us what that was all about? Yeah, I paid a visit to the PMO last week and I dropped something off, uh, 200,000 somethings to be exact, because that's how many people signed our petition asking the Prime Minister to scrap the outrageous expenses policy they have for former Governors General. Now, we've talked about this one a lot uh, on the podcast, so let me see if I got this right. This is two, up to 206000 per year in taxpayer-funded expenses per former Governor General for life. Did, did I get that right? That's the one. And, you know, the, some media outlets had actually done some polling on this over the last couple of weeks. And the numbers are overwhelming. You know, 72% in one poll, 87% in another. That's how many people think that this policy is just ridiculous and they want it scrapped. Absolutely. It should be scrapped. And didn't you say something about how we had 200,000 signatures? That's a lot of people. That's all. It is a lot of people. In fact, believe it or not, it's the biggest petition we've ever had in the history of the CTF. And we've had some pretty big ones, including ones that are over 100,000. So, you know, it's uh, it's huge. In fact, funny thing, it's so big that the printed petitions actually broke the cart that we were using to deliver them over to the prime minister's office. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, so you mean that this this policy is just so unpopular that it physically broke something? Yes, it doesn't just weigh on taxpayers metaphorically. It weighed on our cart uh, physically. You know, we, we, had the, we had them printed out. And so there's a lot of paper. And I, cer- I certainly hope they recycle it. But we were rolling it over from our office in downtown Ottawa. And, and right in the middle of one of the big streets in downtown Ottawa, one of the trolley wheels just snapped right off uh, because there were just too many signatures for it to handle. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty funny. So, so how did you end up delivering them? Well, actually, the, it was the gig economy that came to the rescue. We called an Uber, and it was there in probably 90 seconds. And so we just uh, packed all the boxes into the Uber, and we were good to go. Saved by an Uber. Oh, make sure you don't tell that to the taxi cartel. They're going to get quite mad. Yeah, and I wonder if a taxi would have even agreed to drive us, because it was only about four blocks. Uh, but at any rate, we made the delivery. We made it happen. And hopefully, they finally take note. You know, it's not every day that you get 200,000 Canadians to sign something. Uh, asking to do something that's very simple. Uh, the prime minister doesn't need to pass a bill or have a vote. This is just a policy cabinet can change uh, at the stroke of a pen and get rid of these crazy expense accounts. So we're really hoping he finally acts. Well, hopefully it, it'll be about time. And I know a lot of people are cynics when it comes to petitions, but the fact is they work pretty well. Uh, petition signed by 75,000 of our supporters in Quebec got the provincial government to refund a billion and a half dollars in hydro overbilling two years ago. One signed by 80,000 of you got Trudeau to stop paying for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's bills last year. So they have a history of working. Yeah, exactly. Those are two great examples. And, you know, beyond that, they're just a simple and concrete way that you can express yourself. And when the numbers get really big, uh, you know, politicians, they want to get reelected. So the numbers start to get big and it's really hard for them to ignore them. Uh, and, And when you factor in some other movement on this issue, you know, the Conservatives put forward a motion in Parliament to study the issue in committee. 
And a block member of uh, parliament, believe it or not, actually put forward a private member's bill calling for the governor general's entire compensation package, everything, their salary, um, their expenses, to be reduced to a dollar, <laughs> essentially making it a volunteer <laughs> position. Uh, so look, this petition is a way to just help that, that momentum move along and push the issue forward. You, you know, that's a good point you're making. And and in, in our jobs and our business, there's not there's not one tool that wins us something. It's a variety of tools. And petitions are one of the very good ones. They don't have a guarantee of success, but they're very, very useful. And getting 200,000 signatures, well, it's, it makes it pretty hard for politicians to ignore. So thanks, thanks for working on this, Aaron. And of course, thank you to the over 200,000 Canadians and to all of our listeners who have signed it. It's time for Deep Dive, and this is the part of the show where we step back and take a closer look at some of the important issues hitting Canadian taxpayers. I'm Jasmine Moulton. I'm the Ontario Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and I've got Chris Sims, our BC Director, here with me. Now, Simmer, I hear your inbox is chock full of people's home heating bills right now. They're all showing you how much they're paying in the carbon tax. So tell us, why did you put out this massive call for people to send you their their bills? Yeah, I brought this on myself. So I put out the call because I wanted to know, one, uh, what their usage is. So how much energy they're using, how many liters of oil or propane they're using to not freeze to death this winter. And I wanted to figure out their carbon tax bills. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I might have a thousand of these emails in my inbox. And they're from everyday people who are showing us how much it costs them to heat their homes. They use natural gas, they use propane, and they use furnace oil. Many of these folks live in rural areas where they only have one steady source of heating fuel that they can use, and many of them are on fixed incomes, so lots of them are seniors. They all took pictures for me of their heating bills. Some of them even, I could tell they put them in a scanner (laughs) and used it that way because they don't have smartphones, and they sent them in to me. And we asked for this information because we want to know how much energy everyday people are using, what they're paying right now in the carbon tax. That way, we can do the math, figure out where they're going to pay once Trudeau is done jacking up his federal carbon tax in 2030. Well, I've got to say that when you told me the topic we were going to be discussing today, I took a quick look before the show at my own gas bill. And my husband and I really only use gas to cook food. So on our stovetop or on our fireplace, literally just to take the edge off on those really cold days. And even so I don't think that we use that much gas, but our bill had a $26 federal carbon charge on it, plus 13% tax on top of that, which we'll get to later in the show. And then Chris, you know, I'm nine months pregnant. So pretty much the only place I'm driving these days is to the hospital to go to these millions of appointments you have in the last month. So when I'm paying the carbon tax at the pumps, it's really not because I'm, you know, jet setting across the world. It's I'm living just, you know, cooking food, heating my home, traveling to necessary appointments <laughs> that I have to go to. And I'm really being punished. It feels like with this federal tax, but it sounds like the worst is yet to come because Trudeau is about to crank this carbon tax up to $170 per ton over the next nine years. So as you point out, that's going to increase the cost at the pumps for our cars, and that's going to make home heating bills 
even more expensive. Now, Chris, you have this amazing column that just came out in the Toronto Sun newspaper chain. Listeners, if you haven't read it yet, literally Google Chris Sims Toronto Sun. It's an amazing article. And you talk about what you found when you looked at all of these bills that people have been sending you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit of what you saw? Well, just as a person, uh, they're actually kind of getting hard to read uh, because some of these folks, uh, they're in really tough right now. And so I'm just bracing myself for what they're going to be dealing with in the years to come and folks that better brace themselves. In many cases, I was reading emails from seniors who are already struggling to keep their homes warm and their carbon tax bill using natural gas is around $40 a month. A lady named Jane wrote to us and she said that she actually wears extra layers of clothing inside of her home and already wraps herself in blankets to stay warm. So that's pretty tough to read that stuff. But by the year 2030, the first carbon tax is going to be more than 400% more expensive than it is right now. And if folks are already struggling with $40 a month, what's going to happen when it's much, much more? I think you hit the nail on the head there, Chris, when you talk about really how heartbreaking the stories can be that come out about how the carbon tax has impacted people. But what should scare everyone is that it's about to get a lot more expensive. So why don't you explain to our listeners and (laughs) we have time. I know that this can be kind of a bit of a calculation, but why don't you just explain what it's currently costing us? And then we'll get into after what's about to hit taxpayers. Okay. Here's a real world example. Uh, A family from Black Diamond, Alberta, sent us their bill. For one month from December to January of this year, their household used 46 gigajoules of natural gas, which is 1,187 cubic meters. At the current tax rate of $30 a ton, the carbon tax on natural gas is 5.8 cents per square meter. Their carbon tax for that household was $73.42 for that one month of home heating for natural gas. That didn't include the big February cold snap either. Okay. So you're telling us that this family already paid about 75 bucks for one month because of the carbon tax. And that's at the current price of $30 a ton. So Simmer, what's going to happen when Trudeau gets his way and hikes this up to $170 a ton? You know, we should all be knitting ourselves some long underwear. Uh, At $170 a ton, that means it will cost 33 cents per cubic meter of natural gas. Do the math. That means it's going to cost that household about $390 for that one month of carbon tax within the next nine years. I don't even know where to start with that one because there have been studies that come out showing there are Canadians that live, you know, $200 within making ends meet at the end of the month. So if you're telling me, Chris, that Justin Trudeau wants to hike his carbon tax up to cost families now an extra 400 bucks just for one month to heat their home in the winter time, I There are so many people, I don't know how people are going to make that work. A really important point that we also need to just mention is that Canada doesn't have just one cold month. It's not going to cost you an extra 400 bucks over the course of the winter. There are parts of this country that have, you know, really, really long winters. This is Canada. So how are they going to make ends meet? 
Exactly. And when you think about it, $400 in one month, uh, I don't know about you, but I can do two really big grocery shops for my entire family for 400 bucks, uh, including meat purchases. So this is nothing to sneeze at. And when you talk about winter here in Canada, if we took this household and added up November to March, so four bill cycles in total, it will cost that family more than $1,500, $1,500 in the carbon tax to heat their homes. And again, that's not counting October or April or other cooler times of the year. Okay. So that was for gas, but Chris, what about other forms of heating fuel? What kinds of carbon tax bills can those families be expecting? Yeah, we asked for those too. And I looked at a furnace oil bill from a couple in Fenelon Falls. That's a small town in Ontario. They got their oil tank about half filled up in January. They got 645 liters delivered to them. They paid more than $50 in the carbon tax for that one trip. After this carbon tax is jacked up, it's going to cost 47 cents per liter of heating oil or furnace oil. That means that within nine years, that family in Fenelon Falls is going to pay more than $300 in the carbon tax for just that one delivery from that truck. The average Ontario household actually goes through around 1,700 liters of heating oil per year. So the carbon tax for that family is going to be nearly 800 bucks just to stay warm. And again, that's just for the first carbon tax. The second carbon tax, which is coming soon, is going to be on furnace oil too. Okay, Chris. So as if that $800 carbon tax charge wasn't enough, Justin Trudeau is actually making this more expensive because there's a tax on tax issue here. Our listeners, if they've been listening to the show for any length of time, will know by now that you're not just paying for the carbon tax. Trudeau's actually charging you a sales tax, the GST or the HST on top of the carbon tax. So Chris, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, this is definitely a bee in most people's bonnets. If there's one issue other than the carbon tax, I get steady mail on, it's this. It's a tax on tax. If you take a close look at your energy bills, the HST or GST is tacked on after the carbon tax. So that means you're paying a tax on tax. It's unfair and this is why we fight. People should not be punished for heating their homes in the winter. And that is how this federal government actually sees this carbon tax. We were on the TV talk show Counterpoint a couple of weeks ago, and one of the people who helped write the current federal carbon tax law was on there with us. They were there to debate us on the carbon tax. Listen here to what strategist Elliot Hughes says about why we have a carbon tax. Doing things like introducing a carbon tax is part of a broader plan that the government uh, wanted to, to, to bring in and bring to Canadians to try and tackle some of the challenges that we face today, but are, are certainly about to face down the road. And so a carbon tax is, is the most efficient, um, the most sort of fair uh, and, and, and an effective way in a market based way to okay. essentially punish sort of poor behavior. And that's the use of fossil fuels. That's what really makes this so unbelievable, Chris, is that there are actually people out there who say that we should be punished for the poor behavior of heating our homes and feeding our families, cooking our food. It's so bizarre that the feds are using this logic at all. 
Yeah, that's exactly the language they used. And, you know, this carbon tax, it isn't just on furnace oil and natural gas. It hits propane, too. Lots of folks don't realize that. And lots of folks rely on it to heat their homes, especially folks in rural eastern Canada and low-income people who live in mobile homes, trailer parks, and in their RVs year-round. The average customer uses about 2,500 litres of propane per year. I phoned a distributor and I asked them. That's the average. So within nine years, the carbon tax is going to be more than 26 cents per liter of propane. So Trudeau's carbon tax will cost those folks about $658 extra per year. That's pretty heavy duty punishment for people who can least afford it. But we can't talk about the carbon tax without addressing this issue of rebates because carbon tax proponents, people who support the carbon tax always like to say, well, you get more back in rebates. It puts more back in your pocket. So Chris, how do you address that statement? For sure. Okay. There are two points that I want to make about this uh, because it never fails. The moment I release my article online on social media, I get all this pushback saying, yeah, but we get way more back in rebates. Okay. So right now there are some provinces that do get federal rebates on the federal carbon tax and they vary in amount. And many people are telling us that they don't actually cover the costs that they pay out. One, that's people's own money <laughs> that they are paying out. And it would make more sense to just leave it in their pockets in the first place instead of straining it through multiple layers of government bureaucracy. Worse, when Ottawa added up the numbers, it showed the rebates were already shortchanging taxpayers by hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> Color me shocked. The feds say that it'll even out over time. Just trust them. Good luck with that. Second, and this is important, the federal carbon tax is modeled after the British Columbia carbon tax. We are the template. We're the example out here in BC, okay? And guess what? The rebate here evaporates the moment a two-person working family hits $59,000 per year of income. That's way below the average two-person working family income of $84,000 per year. So the rebate is utterly meaningless in British Columbia. And this is where the carbon tax first started and where emissions are going up anyway. So folks who are pinning all their future plans on a rebate magically giving them more money back from the government than they've put in should use British Columbia's example as a big flashing warning sign. Yeah. Usually when something sounds too good to be true, it normally is. And when the government tells you a tax will actually put more money back in your pockets, sounds like maybe we shouldn't believe them. But Chris, ultimately, if there's anything we know about this carbon tax, it's that it's going to cost taxpayers a lot of money, which is why we need to fight it. So if you're listening to the show, please go to our website, taxpayer.com, sign our petitions against Trudeau's carbon tax, and let's put this costly tax to bed. It's time for Waste Watch, the part of the show where we make fun of all the absurd ways that politicians and bureaucrats waste your money. So, Sims, you have a doozy and a boozy story for us in BC. So what happened now? Okay, Renault, pop quiz. When is it acceptable for a politician or bureaucrat to charge taxpayers for the booze they drink? Oh, wait, wait, I think I know this one. Um, is it for medicinal use? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like more, more seriously, the answer is never. Uh, yeah. While we get it that folks need to eat while they're traveling for work purposes, that doesn't include their bar tab. Taxpayers can 
pay for you know a little bit of food when they're there when these guys are traveling but definitely not for beer and getting drunk so not cool so this is apparently a big surprise to plenty of people who were working in the thompson Nicola regional district that's the jurisdiction surrounding the city of kamloops it's about four hours ish northeast of vancouver right in the middle of the province local reporter jessica wallace did an amazing amount of work digging up the details on this story and you can read all about it in the kamloops this week newspaper i suggest you guys go check it out turns out that a gentleman named Suk Gill got a really big payout when he left the Thompson Nicola Regional District Board as their chief administrative officer about a year ago. The newspaper says it was actually more than half a million dollars in a payout. But the board, yeah, it's weird. And the board keeps changing its reasons for why he left. First, they told the newspaper reporter that he was on paid leave. Then they changed it to vacation. Then they said he had resigned. And then they said he had retired with this payout. <laughs> well, these guys seem a bit confused. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge payout for a regional district bureaucrat just to leave the board. Like half a million dollars. That's, I think that's more than double what your premier makes in salary. Yeah. But what about the booze? Where does that come in? So because this payout was so big and because their reasons for his leaving kept changing, that set off the reporter's spidey senses and she did the right thing. She filed dozens of freedom of information requests to get some straight answers out of these folks. Mm -hmm. Turns out that the credit card that was being carried by the CAO at the time and being paid for by taxpayers had been used for more than $500,000 in expenses over five years. Now, some of it was for travel and hotels to official meetings, but much of it was actually for very fancy meals at steakhouses, including the alcoholic drinks. There's even a nearly $8,000 charge for something called a champagne room at Whistler during an AGM. A champagne room? That <laughs> shouldn't be on a bureaucrat's expense report ever. I love the way you say that word, but no, from a taxpayer's perspective, there should be no sense in the champagne room. This credit card was even used to, get this, buy gift cards at the local liquor store. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of them. Okay, but what gives? Like, I... I get meals, he probably went overboard, but what reason would a bureaucrat have to buy gift cards with company money at a local liquor store? Like, why, why, did, why did they do that? Apparently, it was standard operating procedure for these bureaucrats on this board to buy each other gifts and presents to celebrate their years of service to the board. Oh my, oh my God. I mean, that's literally what the salary is for. That's what we pay these guys for. We pay these guys a salary to thank them for the service they're doing while they're on there. The main takeaway here from this story is that this person appears to have been eating out at restaurants about every other day or so for five years straight and nailing the taxpayer with the bill every single time. Newsflash, if you're making more than 200 grand a year, buy your own steak dinner. Yeah, but the thing is, if they're paying for it themselves, people are much more likely to save money by eating more simply. I'm assuming if he had to pay for it, the, champ the champagne room would have transformed itself magically into a McDonald's. <laughs> so the, the shrimp and champagne only make an appearance when someone else is picking up the cab. And, you know, 
I did. I will definitely drink a glass of champagne if these guys get if these guys get a Teddy Waits Award nomination next year. Say it but again. Champagne. <laughs> but what do we do about it now? Okay, we need to do two things right now in order to put a lid on this nonsense. First, let's get an effective municipal auditor general for cities so that people have a place to call when they see nonsense like this happening and it doesn't bleed out for five years. You Mm -hmm. need to be able to put a cork in it. And second, let's get local government recall legislation so that when this stuff happens and the politicians who are responsible for overseeing these bureaucrats and these boards turn around and play dumb with us and say they didn't know that they weren't allowed to build taxpayers for liquor store gift cards and diamond necklaces. That way we'll have a chance to fire those politicians between elections. We have both petitions up on our website right now. So go to it. Okay. Well, that's it. That's the show. But before we go, we have some fan mail from our mailbag. We always have lots of interesting uh, stuff on social media and emails. This week, I want to talk about an email I got Uh, The subject line was gun ban, um, but it was a very weird email and it it, it spent a lot of time talking about the individual who emailed me that Aaron is a corporate name. I don't know what that means. Um, And he wanted to know whether my name was incorporated or not. I'm not sure again what that means, but it ended nicely because they seemed to support our campaign against the gun ban. And um, I got best wishes from this individual. Um, He said he would pray for us in our federation. So uh, I'm not sure if I have a corporate name or not, but uh, I'm guessing that was, uh, I'm I'm hoping that was fan mail. Well, at at least it sounds in a good way. They want to pray for you. Uh, This one is one, it's actually an op-ed that someone wrote in response to our proposal to bring PI's employees' wages back to um, back to the same level as the people in the private sector. Uh, so that PI bureaucrats make roughly as much as people in the private sector. We got this reply for, from the president of the PI union of public sector employees, who calls this an extremist proposal and a mean-spirited notion. I didn't know it was such an extremist proposal to uh, just make sure that they're they're making roughly the same as the private sector taxpayers that pay for their salaries. But here it is, an extremist proposal. There you go. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.